Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Grab your Bibles and meet me in Ephesians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1175, and that Bible will be in Ephesians chapter 3 today. We are plugging along in our series that we've called Authentic, Becoming Who We Really Are. And as we uh, regularly do with our sermon series, we have put together a study guide to go with this. And if you haven't grabbed that yet, you can grab that at the Hub. They are $5. And the teaching on Sunday morning is the bulk of the teaching, but the booklets are there uh, to help you go deeper. So there's a lot more scripture in there to wrestle through. There's a lot of questions uh, for how do we apply it to our lives. And so if you're looking for a deeper engagement in the teaching, uh, then that's what's there for you there. So you can grab those at the hub. We're calling the series Authentic, Becoming Who We Really Are. And so it begs the question, well, who are we? And who are we supposed to be? And as we are figuring out who we are supposed to be, uh, how do we wrestle through that? We are wanting to look to the truth of God's word and say, well, who does God say that we are? That's the most important thing. Who does God say that we are? And we have talked in the series that uh, because we have sinned, because we have been sinned against, because we have been hurt in this life, because we carry shame and because we carry pain and we carry the weight of our past and our bad choices and mistakes that we've made, because of that, uh, because of everything that we carry, we walk around with something that Christian theologians and psychologists have called the false self. And the false self is a universal experience. It is the person that we put on in order to get by in life. And we learn pretty early on uh, that we can't fully be ourselves because the world is not really a safe place in every way. And so we put someone on just to get by. It's something that we all do. And so we live out of this falseness and we don't get to live the way God has called us to live. And as David Benner says, the only way to deal with that falseness is to have a radical encounter with truth. And so that is what we are wanting to do in this series, is go to the truth of God's word and say, okay, who are we? Who has God said that we are? And how do we live out of that more and more? So last week we talked about that we were, we talked about being made in the image of God, that we were all created in the image of God. We unpacked a bit about what that means. And we talked about, you know, the very profound idea that children often look like their parents. And so because we are made in the image of God, there is something about who God is that has come to us. And we have broken that because of our sin, but we are being restored back to that again because of Jesus. And so we are in this process of renovation and renewal. Um, and as we go into this week, I want to talk about parenting again a little bit, about parents and kids. And there's, of course, lots that's been written about parenting, lots of books, lots of uh, studies and different things. But I thought, you know, when it comes to good parenting, there's nowhere better to go than Hollywood. So we are going to look at what some famous celebrities have had to say. Here are some famous Hollywood dads, uh, what they had to say about parenting. Ashton Kutcher says this, It's unbelievable. It's the greatest thing on earth. As soon as this child was born, I immediately wanted to call my parents and just apologize because I never knew how much they loved me. You relate to that at all, those of you who are parents? Chris Hemsworth, Avenger, says this, For the first time, it's not about me anymore. This internal dialogue about my own boring story isn't at the forefront of my thoughts. It's about them now, their welfare. And you go, right, because parents sacrifice for their kids. Everything changes. The whole focus of life shifts when children come along. 
Once more from Michael Bublé talking about his kids. I love them more than I'll ever love anything or anyone in the whole universe. It's hard to be able to quantify that level of love. And so, again, just to make a profound statement that's not actually that profound, uh, whether you're a father or a mother, parents are to love their kids. And that has not, of course, been the experience that we have all had. But there is something within us that knows that is the way it's supposed to be. Parents are to love their kids and sacrifice for their kids and put their kids first. There is something hardwired into us that knows that's the way it's supposed to be. And good parents do that. They love their kids. And if we have had that experience where our parents loved us, then we are blessed. Not everyone has had that experience. If you have been blessed with children, you know that love shows up for your kids. And you have had that experience maybe as well. But good parents love their children. And, uh, and so we, through our human relationships, we can get a taste of what love feels like, whether it's from our parents or to our own children or to our spouse or to our brothers and sisters or to our best friends or from our church family or our coworkers, however that looks, we can experience what love feels like through other people. Now, when it comes to God, part of the idea of being God is that he is greater than anything we have. We are natural. He is supernatural. We are human. He is superhuman. And so anything we can experience on the human level, God is actually more than anything that we can experience. So if we had the most loving parents in the world, or if you didn't, if you can even imagine the most loving parents that you know, and picture those parents in your head who just loved well and took care of their kids and sacrificed for their kids and put their kids first, if you can picture that level of love coming from that parent, God is more loving than that. God loves you more than that. And that applies to any attribute that we see. The most joyful person you know in your life, God is more joyful than that. The more peaceful person, the most peaceful person you know in your life, God is more peaceful than that. The, more, the most patient person you know, God is more patient than that. The most just and righteous person you know, God is more just and more righteous than that because he is God. And because he is God, anything that we experience and that we get a taste of, God is greater, he is more. And when Jesus walked this earth, one of the great profound things that he brought to the table, when he started walking and started teaching and started explaining about God, is he started referring to God as Father. And that's not something you see in the Old Testament very much. That's not a common way that Israel referred to God. They referred to him as Lord. They referred to him as King. They saw him, it was much more the majesty and the power and the glory. And Jesus doesn't take away any of that. But when Jesus comes and he's teaching about God, he says, hey, when you're talking to your dad, that's the picture that he brings of who our father is. It's what Jesus adds to our picture of God. That God is not just Lord. God is not just King. God is not just glorious. But that God is Father. God is Dad. And while our dads were not perfect, and some were far from perfect, and while we are not perfect parents, God is the perfect Dad. And Jesus says, your dad loves you like a good dad should. Your dad cares for you like a good dad should. And so Jesus points to this idea of God as Father to help us understand how God loves us. So let's take that into our text today. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, page 1175 in the Pew Bible. And 
In Ephesians 3, Paul is talking about the gospel, this amazing gospel, this gospel that saves us, this gospel that has come to us, that we don't save ourselves. And Paul's saying the gospel isn't just for Israel. This gospel is going to the whole world. And as it goes to the whole world, Paul's saying, I am honored. I get to be a preacher of this gospel. I get to share this good news with everybody. Isn't the gospel amazing? And then in the midst of this teaching, he just has to break out into prayer. So let's take a look. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, and we're starting in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen is right. So we're just going to walk through that passage. We're going to go through the verses and just pull out some of God's truth today. So Paul starts verse 14, 15, for this reason, this reason being this great and glorious gospel that he's been bragging about. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And we talked last week about being created in the image of God, that God is the creator. And the psalmist said, uh, you created the stars, I look at the skies, I look at your wonder, I look at your glory. What is man that you are mindful of him? Like of everything you've created. And then there's little old us, and God has crowned us with glory and honor. And as the, the psalmist is reflecting on that, as we reflect on that, as Paul reflects on that, he's saying, I pray to the Father, the one who created us, because that's what dads do. In order to be a dad, I had to procreate. I had to, with my wife, produce children. And so the Father is the Father, in part because he made us, and the Father is the Father also because he apparently named us. Every family, every person on earth has been named by the Father. And that's another thing that dads get to do with moms, of course. That is a parent's right to name their children. We had a daughter. We named her Kaylee. She's going to turn eight this week. She got her first Valentine from a boy last week. Oh, my heart. I knew it was coming, but not at eight. That's too young. Uh, oh. She was pretty indifferent about the whole thing, and I went, good girl, that's absolutely right. Until you're 17, you can keep that attitude. But we had a girl eight years ago this week, and we named her Kaylee, because that's what parents get to do. You name your child Kaylee, and if one of you came to me and said, ah, oh, she feels more like a Jessica, I'd say, well, that's too bad, she's Kaylee, because I get to name her, that's my job. So fathers procreate and fathers give the name. And this picture that he doesn't just say, well, God's named the ones who knew him. God has named all of us. He has given us our name. And I really believe God works through our parents to name us and put us in the family that we're supposed to be in and, and to lead us in the way that we should go because that's what dads do. Paul continues on, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's praying into their salvation. I pray that you're going to be strong in your salvation, that you're going to be just solid there, that you're going to know Jesus inside you, that you're going to be strengthened. And it's not just that you're going to be strengthened, you're going to be strengthened out of his glorious riches. 
There is nothing that God lacks. You have a father in heaven, and he is super wealthy. He has the resources of eternity behind him. There is nothing that he lacks, and he has not promised us that we would have everything we want in life, but he has promised us we would have everything that we need, and we would have more than we need. You have a father in heaven who is wealthy, for whom nothing is impossible. The storehouses of heaven are more than full with enough blessing for all of us. We never need to be jealous about the blessing that somebody else has, because when we're jealous about what someone else has, we're saying, well, God, I don't believe you have enough for me, too. It's not like God has limited resources and he's parceling it out. God has unlimited resources. Out of his riches, he strengthens us. Out of his wealth, out of his abundance, out of his generosity, you have a father in heaven and he is super loaded and he's on your side. And not only that, he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And in the book of 1 John, the apostle John is writing to the church and he says, he's talking about love a lot. And he says, hey, you know God loves you, and God has lavished his love upon you, and God has demonstrated his love to you, and God has shown his goodness and his love, and so because he's loved us, you need to love one another, because when you love one another, you're, you're God-like in that moment. Not that we are like him, you know, in his holiness, but we, we are following in his footsteps, and as God loved us, we loved others. If we don't love others, we need to question whether we really love God, and it all comes back to the fact that he loved us first, because he loved us first, and John writes, beloved, let us love one another because to love is to be like God and he's building this argument about love and you just get this sense that he's trying to figure out how else do I say this God loved us and you love each other but he loved us first and we want to be loving like him because of this great love and John finally just says God is love in first John chapter 5 just God is love it's not just that he's loving it's that he is love in his nature that's who he is he cannot ever not be loving. He always has to be loving. And any way he acts has to be an expression of his love because it is the very nature of who he is. And again, whatever amazing loving parent you maybe had or at least can imagine, God is more loving than that. Whatever love you carry for your loved ones, for your parents or for your children or your siblings or your friends, whatever love fills your heart, God loves you more than that. Because he is love. And not only is God love, he is also good. And we touched on this last week. Not that everything in this life is good, and God is not the author of evil. He is not the author of our misfortune. But even when things are not good, there, there are things in life that are horrific. And God is not orchestrating those things out of his goodness. But even as we go through the storms and we go through the trials, God is still good in those moments. And this can shift our attitude as we go through this stuff, because often we tend to take on an attitude of, well, God, if you're so good, then why do I have to go through this? But the Bible doesn't promise that we're not going to have trials in life. The Bible actually says that just like Jesus, we are all going to have to go through the cross. We are all going to have to crucify ourselves. We are all going to have to take it up and follow him. We are going to go through storms. It is inevitable. But the attitude can shift away from, well, God, if you're so good, then why is this happening to me? Or what did I do wrong to make this happen to me? And it can shift to, God, show me where your goodness is right now. Because I don't see it, maybe. Show me your goodness in the midst of the trial. Show me your love in the midst of this trial. Open my eyes, because I am having trouble right now. I, I don't 
think that everything that happens to us is good or orchestrated by God, but God is always there, whatever it is that we are going through. So Lord, open my eyes. Let me see your goodness even as I go through this. And the idea that God is love, the idea that God is good, is something that is all throughout the Bible, and it's actually one of Israel's most common worship refrains. This is from Psalm 105. It shows up over and over again. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Israel was always singing about God's goodness. They were always singing about his love. They would sing about it over and over and over again. And I've had arguments over the years with different people about worship, and some people feel like, ah, modern worship's a little touchy-feely, like it's really all the love. And I miss the old hymns that were just solid and theological and intellectual. And, and I agree to some extent. There is a richness to some of the old songs that, that we don't usually get to in modern worship. However, the Bible is full of love love songs to the Lord. So if we're going to worship biblically, it's going to have to include that. It's going to have to sing of his love. And like we did this morning, sing of his love for us, sing of our love for him, sing of his goodness, sing of, of his faithfulness, sing of the, the many ways in which he has blessed us. Worship is important because it gets our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and onto the one who is love and onto the one who is good. We need to be reminded of that. And there's a reason we take time to worship every week. And so as we come into worship and we're honoring his goodness, we're honoring his love, we're wanting to get to the point where it's not about uh, whether my circumstances feel good or whether my circumstances make me feel like I'm loved, because sometimes our circumstances don't. Sometimes in our circumstances we say, I don't see your goodness here, Lord. I don't, I'm not feeling the love right now, if I'm being honest. But when we're in that place, we are reminding ourselves that we are leaning on the truth of God's word, and truth is greater than circumstance. And so whatever my circumstance is, God can never not be good. He can never not be loving. He has to be good. He has to be loving because that is the truth of God's word. There are times where my heart is full. I was in worship this morning. I had my son and daughter at my side. My daughter wrapped her arms around my waist, and she's singing with me, and I'm singing with her, and my heart was full. You know, I could easily sing of the goodness of God, easily sing of his love. I was so grateful in that moment. Sometimes worship is easy. And sometimes things are falling apart, and sometimes there's frustration, and sometimes there's brokenness, and sometimes there's sickness, and sometimes there's worry and anxiety. And on those days, the, the solution is not, I'm not feeling it, so I'm not going to sing it today. The solution is, well, it's just going to be way more a statement of faith today than other days, but I'm going to continue to declare God's truth because my worship of him and his truth is not conditional on my circumstances at all. He is always good. He is always loving. He is always worthy to be worshipped. If I don't feel like worshipping today, that doesn't change the fact that he is worthy to be worshipped. If I'm not fully embracing these truths in my circumstances, that doesn't change the fact that they're truth. That doesn't change the fact that they are right. And I want to align my heart to God's truth and not just let my circumstances, not just let my emotions drive these things. The psalmist said in the middle of the, the 23rd Psalm, which is, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. And there's a lot about the goodness of God in there. But he also says, you know, there's times where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's times where there are enemies who are out to get us. But he wraps up the psalm saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of my mentors used to say, God's goodness and his mercy are running you down. They are on your tail. They are following after you. 
and we might not always feel it, we might not always experience it, we might not always connect with the emotion behind that, but if the truth of God's word is that his goodness and mercy are, are following me right now, then I trust even if I don't see it in this second, they're going to catch up because they're, they're after me. God's goodness and his mercy is after me. And so if we're not uh, focusing when we pray and focusing when we worship on his goodness, on his love, on his mercy, on his compassion, then, then our worship is incomplete. Then our prayer life is incomplete because the Bible is full of exhortations about the goodness and the love of God. And we can trust in this because as Paul goes on in verse 17, he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow. Paul's saying there is a huge love that Jesus has for you. There is a huge love. And I pray that you'll just have just some power to just grasp, to just get your head a little bit around how wide, how high, just how gigantic Jesus loves you. And, and just this is my prayer for you, church, that you would have a revelation of his love, not just that you know it in your heads, not just that you read about it in the Bible, not just that you sing about it in your songs, but that you would truly grasp how ginormous the love is that Jesus has for you, that that would go deep within you. There is a huge love there. And again, we get tastes of this love in our human relationships, but whatever love you've experienced with people, God's love for you is greater. And I could so relate uh, to that Ashton Kutcher quote where he said, until I had a kid, I didn't really get it. I wanted to go to my parents and say, wow, I never really understood how much you loved me. And I so relate when Kaylee was born and I just, I thought my heart was going to explode out of my chest. And I I, I love my wife, and, I, and that was a very deep, that was the deepest love I'd ever experienced, but this was a whole other level. It was just a whole other thing. And I remember thinking, wow, like my dad loves me like this. And I just didn't know that. I didn't understand that, and, I, and we probably can't maybe until we experience it, but we have to receive the truth deep within us that Jesus loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And he tells us that over and over in his word, but he doesn't just tell us that. He has demonstrated that for us. So the value of something is measured by the price that someone is willing to pay for it. The value of something is measured by the price that someone is willing to pay. If houses in Leamington are worth X amount and everyone is willing to pay that amount for the houses, then that's what they're worth. If people are willing to pay more, then the prices will go up. If people aren't willing to pay that much, then the prices will go down. However much people are willing to pay, that's what it's worth. That's how a market economy works. So here's the thing about lobster. Ready? It was Valentine's Day, right, this last week. And so Sarah and I went out for dinner over the weekend. We didn't go on Valentine's Day itself. We went on Friday night. And we went to a restaurant in the area, uh, and it's well known for its lobster. They bring in fresh lobster all the time. And so as we're getting ready to go, uh, Sarah's looking at the menu online, and she's like, oh, there's this lobster dish that looks really good. And I said, of course, anything you want. My baby gets whatever she wants. It's Valentine's Day. We're celebrating our love. My baby can have anything she wants. And then we got to the restaurant, and I saw the prices, and I went, maybe my baby wants some chicken. Maybe that'll be, a, maybe that will be acceptable to celebrate our love. 
And lobster, of course, it's one of the priciest things on the menu, right? A lobster dish can be, you know, 30, 40, 50 dollars. And as I was looking at that, I thought, why is lobster so expensive? Like, what is it about it? And I sort of remembered something, reading something. So I went and I just did some internet research, so top quality research, obviously. And, but I remembered this. I had read something about this a long time ago. So when the pilgrims came over to North America, lobster was everywhere. Lobster was plentiful. There are stories of there would be a storm and lobster would just like wash up in drifts on the beach and the natives would go and they would grab it and they would, that was a great source of protein and it was just abundant. And so uh, I read one historian this week who had pretty good reason to believe that the first Thanksgiving dinner uh, that we celebrate where the pilgrims and the First Nations people got together to eat was probably not turkey, it was probably lobster because lobster was just abundant. And there's all these notes in the historical record of how often they're eating lobster because lobster was just everywhere. And because it was everywhere, it was super cheap. And so uh, it was just abundant, and it became the cheap meat. And lobster would, you know, they dwell on the bottom. They were kind of considered dirty animals, kind of garbage animals on the bottom of the sea. And so it was, well, if you had money, you could eat chicken and beef and other things. If you were poor, you could eat lobster. Lobster was a sign of poverty. Uh, for several hundred years. And there were fun stories that I came across. One was that uh, there was a, a ledger from a, a grocery store in Massachusetts in the 1700s or 1800s, and lobster was significantly cheaper than vegetables back then. So there's a pound of beans is 50 cents, a pound of lobster is 10 cents. So like way cheaper. There was another story from Maine where the prison system got sued because they were feeding the prisoners too much lobster because lobster was just cheap and available. And so there was an edict handed down from the courts that said to the prisons, you cannot feed the prisoners lobster more than three times a week. That is plenty. Anything more is cruel and unusual punishment. You have to feed them some chicken somewhere in there. And so what happened was, somewhere in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there were some restaurants in New York that just kind of decided that lobster was fancy. And they just decided that they were going to start charging more for lobster. And they started to, sort of an advertising campaign that just said, you know, the, the luxury of lobster and butter and all of these things. And lobster prices started to go up because these fancy restaurants started charging more and more for them. And over the course of the 20th century, all of a sudden, lobster starts to get more expensive. It's no longer the cheap, abundant thing. It is now uh, a sign of luxury. And people were willing to pay. And so they said, well, we can't uh, farm as many lobsters as we used to because we need to keep the supply down. So they just started taking in less and, and catching less. And just as that happened, prices went higher and higher. And so we're at a point now where if you go into a restaurant, yeah, it can be 30 40 $50 for a lobster dish. And it's only that high because we are willing to pay it. That's literally the only reason why lobster is so expensive. And if we all of a sudden said, like, I'll give you 10 bucks for that lobster, and as a culture we agreed to do that, the price would come down very quickly. And so all of that to say, the value of something is measured by the price that someone is willing to pay for it. We have decided, apparently, as a society, we are willing to pay a high price for lobster. Diamonds are the exact same thing, by the way. Diamonds are plentiful. We've just decided we are willing to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for an engagement ring. And so that's how much they cost. The value of a diamond is measured by the fact that we are willing to pay thousands for it. 
And so if the value of something can be measured by the price that is willing to pay, bringing this all back into our topic, the Father loves us more than we can possibly imagine. God loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And when we were far from him, and when we were sinners, when we went our own way, when we rejected him and said, I'm going to go and do my own thing, uh, there was no other way for God to reconcile it other than to send his son to die on the cross and to rise for us. So if the value of something is measured by the price that we're willing to pay, what does that tell you about your value in the eyes of God? What does that tell you about how he values you? Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love. Doesn't just express it, doesn't just say it, and doesn't even demonstrate it by, you know, feeding us and giving us breath and, and all of the things that we trust God to do. God demonstrates his love this way. When we were his enemies, he died for us. That is the value that you hold in the eyes of God. That's how important you are to him. He wanted eternity with you so badly that he went to the cross. He has demonstrated his love for you at the cross. And he has shown you how much. He hasn't just said, I love you. He has demonstrated what that love looks like. And Paul prays, I want you rooted in that love. I want you rooted there. I want it to go deep. I want it to, to be like the, the big tree, you know, that's 50 feet in the air, and it's got roots that you know go down and down and down and down. And when the wind comes, it'll sway, but that tree doesn't move. That tree is rooted. That tree is solid. That tree is secure. And as we talk about the false self and living out of that and trying to live more authentically, then we say, okay, so it doesn't—it shouldn't matter— Whatever insecurities I have, whatever sin I am struggling with, whatever uh, thing makes me feel weak or makes me feel scared or makes me feel anxious or makes me feel vulnerable, whatever thing that's going on inside me that I don't want you to see, it's not that we gloss over that, but that ultimately shouldn't be what identifies me as who I am. My identity should be grounded in the fact that I am deeply loved by God and he was willing to die for me. He loves me so much. To be rooted there. And then when the storms and the trials and the doubts and the fears and the anxiety come, they will come, but I'm going to be rooted in the right place. A number of years ago when I was pastoring in Amherstburg, there was a, a small tornado had touched down on a farm in Harrow. And they were, CTV or CBC was out, and the reporter was there interviewing the farmer. And it was interesting because there was all these cornfields, and some of the corn had fallen over, but most of the corn was okay. Uh, but the roof of the barn had been torn off just in the wind. And so the farmer was interviewing with the reporter, and the reporter said, wasn't well, that interesting? Your roof is gone, but like most of your corn is okay. And the farmer, not meaning in any spiritual sense, but the farmer just said, well, the, the corn's grounded better than the roof is. Right? The roof is just there, and if the wind catches it, it can go away. But the corn has roots, is what he was saying. And so even though corn is tall and it can whip around all over the place, the roots kept it safe. The roots kept it grounded. And Paul says, I want you guys rooted in the love of God. Not just rooted, but established. Because once something is established, if we're building a building, once the foundation is established, once it's solid, once it's secure, then literally the sky can be the limit. We can build a building that goes up into the sky once the, the foundation is established. So Paul says, I want your lives rooted and established here. You are deeply loved by God, so loved by him that he was willing to die for you. Let that drive your life. 
Let that drive your sense of who you are. And, and as we wrestle through, again, our doubts, our fears, our insecurities, the lies of the enemy, we'll touch on that as we go through the series. But to be grounded here, rooted here, and established here. And Paul says, I just want you guys to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And I just love the phrasing of that. I love the wordplay of it. To know something that's, that's unknowable, but you can know it. Because my prayer is you're going to have power to grasp this. And it's not something we can grasp on our own. It's not something that through my own study or through my own understanding, I mean, I can know that God loves me. I can trust that God loves me. But Paul is saying you need power from heaven to really help you grasp how huge this love is. It is not something you can do on your own. You need a revelation of God about what his love looks like. That's something that the Holy Spirit does for us, shows us what that looks like. You would know this love that surpasses knowledge. I pray that you would have power to just grasp that, how huge this love is, this love that surpasses knowledge. So I grew up in church. I wasn't saved until I was 18, but I grew up in church, and I hated going for my childhood, and my parents always dragged me there, and, and when I was a youth, they dragged me then, and I never wanted to be there, and I believed in God, I think, in kind of a general sense. I, I believed in the Bible in a general way, but it uh, just didn't do anything for me. I was just not in any way looking to God or living for God. I didn't have any relationship with God. Uh, certainly was living my life in sin, and I knew theoretically that God loved me. I had been taught Jesus loves me when I was little. I knew the song. Uh, if you were to ask me, does God love people? I would say, well, sure, because I've heard all the altar calls and the, the salvation messages. I knew John 3.16. I'd been in church enough to know that God loved the world. And, and so I knew about God's love, to be sure. Um, and as I, I grew up, I just didn't want anything to do with him. And when I was 18, uh, I was out for lunch with a friend, and the friend uh, was a Christian and was just sharing some things, just as Christians should, of just like, oh, well, here's what God's doing in my life, and here's how he answered this prayer. And, uh, and I had, again, for 18 years been in church, for 18 years, probably not every Sunday, but virtually every Sunday, been in church, listening to the message, singing along with the worship songs, uh, having this, you know, this time of, of being dragged there and not wanting anything to do with it. But... When this friend this day, I mean, there's no other reason for it other than it was just God at work. On this particular day, as he was sharing this stuff, I, for the first time in my life, became very aware that I was a sinner, that I was not right with God, that, that I had no relationship with him, and that was a terrifying thought. And, and I knew I wasn't in a good place. And I had heard messages from the pulpit that were way more convicting, that were way more in your face, that were way more, you know, fire and brimstone or whatever. And it had all just gone over my head. But on this day, the Holy Spirit was at work in my life. On this day, this friend's words had power. And so I went home that night, and I got down on my knees, and I just said, Lord, I am sorry for my sins, and I would like to know you, and I don't know how to explain it any other way than it just felt like waves of his presence washing over me. Just waves of, I just felt his love, I felt accepted, I felt forgiven, I felt lighter, I felt peace, I felt joy, I was laughing, I was crying at the same time, and, and this is just my story, it doesn't need to be your story. But on that night, for the first time in my life, I had power to grasp the love of God. Paul's prayer was coming into effect in my life. I, I had a glimpse of, of knowledge of this love that surpasses knowledge. God's love became real to me. 
for the first time. And, and that was my salvation moment. I was never the same after that. So that was the late 90s, and we used to sing a song in the 90s called I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, right, by the band Delirious. And uh, it has not held up musically over the decades. It's a little cheesy by our current standards. Some songs are timeless. I wouldn't say this is timeless. It's timeless to me because I remember being in church on a Sunday when they sang that song not long after my experience. And there was a line in there that said, I'm happy to be in the truth, and I will daily lift my hands, for I will always sing of when your love came down. And that's what I had experienced. And that was the first worship song where I went, oh, I know exactly what that's about. I know exactly what that feels like. Paul says, listen, you can't understand God's love on your own, so I am praying that you'll have the power to understand it. I'm praying that you will know this love that surpasses knowledge. I'm praying that God will bring you a revelation of that. And then Paul just gets so excited, he just ends the thing by breaking out into worship in verse 20, 21. Now to him, the Lord, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, he just has to worship in light of all of this, in light of the gospel, in light of his love, in light of how big this love is, in light of the God who will actually reveal that love to us. I just got to break out and worship the one who is able to not just do kind of the bare minimum, but the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And my wife and I picked those verses uh, as our wedding verse when we were getting married. We said, you know what, that's a promise we want as foundational in our marriage. And we, we preached that, or the, the preacher preached that as part of the message that day. Uh, and we have seen this over and over again. We have not always got what we wanted in life. We have, I can say confidently, immeasurably more than we deserve, certainly, that we thought we would get. God has blessed us abundantly. And Paul just breaks out in this worship uh, what we call a doxology, which literally is Greek. It means the glory saying or the glory words, which we would just say is worship. He just breaks out into this worship. Uh, in light of the gospel and his love, I just got to praise Jesus in the middle of this letter, who's able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God is able to do immeasurably immeasurably more and we are invited in scripture to come taste and see that the lord is good come taste and see if you have not had an experience of his love like like i've described or like we sing about if that is not something uh then pray paul's prayer lord give me the power to grasp this and some of us are more emotional and god will meet us in our emotions some of us are more intellectual god will meet us in the intellect it doesn't have to be the same for everybody but we need a revelation from him about this love so that we can be rooted and established there you remember this hymn all i have needed thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness lord unto me again not everything we want everything we need and even immeasurably more than that come on up worship team we're just about ready to wrap up here we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. Uh, any question, there's no dumb question. Uh, we are always excited to keep talking about it. Uh, you can only squeeze so much into a Sunday morning sermon. So if you want to keep discussing, please uh, send a message in and we'll message back and forth or we can grab a coffee or whatever. We'd be happy to take that time. So we know the way it's supposed to be is parents love their kids. There is something in us that knows that. And again, whatever love we have experienced from our parents or whatever love we experience towards our kids or whatever love we have shared with a, a spouse or a friend or a brother or a sister, 
Whatever love we have given and received, God is more loving than that. God is more loving than the most loving person that you know, and he has demonstrated that love for us at the cross. The Apostle John put it this way in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. As followers of Jesus, anyone who follows Jesus, you're welcomed back into the family. Even though we have sinned, even though we continue to struggle with sin, you're welcomed back to the table. And it's the great love that has been lavished. Now, God's not stingy, right? Out of his riches, he has given this to us. He has lavished his love upon us. Imagine what lavishing love looks like in a human context. God is more loving than that. And he has offered that to us. And so as we are talking about living authentically, becoming who we really are, we need to pray to have this revelation of the love of God. If we can't do it by ourselves, if we can't understand it by ourselves, if Paul said, I'm going to pray for you guys to grasp it, then we need to pray that prayer. Because it's not like I had that experience 20 years ago, and then it's like, no, I'm, I'm good for the rest of my life. I want more of that. I want more of that experience. I want you to have a revelation of his love. So we are seeking him in that way. We can let this shift our attitude as well and shift our, our frustration with life and our frustration with people where we say, you know what? No matter what happens to me, I am rooted and established in a, in a God who loved me so much that he died for me. And, and I'm going to live out of that. And I'm going to let that affect the choices that I make, the way I treat people, to be grounded there, where we look to start to live out of that identity. What's the most important thing about you? It's not your job. It's not your status. The most important thing about you in light of eternity is that Jesus loves you, and he has died for you, and he has saved you. And living life out of that, letting that drive things. We're going to worship him again before we go. We're going to sing about his love because it's worth singing about. And the words will be up on the screen. We'll wrap up after that. But I'll ask you to stand to your feet with me, please. Join us as we worship him. I didn't grow up in the church. I came to Christ when I was 21 years old. And I often had people tell me about Jesus and the Father that the, the love that the Father had for me. And that it was the greatest love you'll ever experience. And it's like her, it's better than your earthly father. And for me, it was confusing because my dad, as much as I loved him, wasn't a great earthly father. And I had a really hard time equating him to my heavenly father. And I really struggled with that for a long time. And I was like, you know what? If this God, who is the heaven, my heavenly father, loves me the way my earthly father is supposed to, I want nothing to do with him. And then I realized over the years, that God's love is so different than my earthly father or any other earthly love I've ever experienced, even to this day. And I lean into that every day of my life. And perhaps you've had an experience in your life where you've compared your earthly love to your heavenly father's love. And it's so different. And perhaps there's a wall or maybe you've decided, you know what, I want nothing to do with God the Father or Jesus Christ because of the hurts and the pains I've experienced through human love. And we want to encourage you this morning to say, you can lean into Jesus. You can lean into God the Father and his love is real for you. And don't let a human relationship that you may have experienced that lets you down hold you back from following Jesus Christ. And to understand that God, Jesus' Father, sent his only son. The Bible says that in John 3, 16. And he sent his son to die for us on the cross. And he loves us that much. So be encouraged by that. And if you've come here this morning 
and you're at a place right now where you're trying to understand what it means to be loved by Jesus and you need encouragement or some prayer there'll be people available after service that would love to sit with you and pray with you and encourage you and we encourage you to come forward and as people are coming forward and you want to visit and connect with others we ask you to do that in the foyer or down the hallway so we can create a place of ministry here don't leave today if the holy spirit is urging you to get prayed over come forward whatever you need prayer for let's pray together jesus thank you thank you that you went to the cross for us thank you that you love us and thank you father for sending your son to die for us your one and only son and what that must have been like for you to see your son to go through what he went through and yet jesus you remain faithful to your father and you died on the cross for our sins and we're grateful for that and i pray jesus today that you reveal to every single one of us what that means to be loved by you and for those who have come today that haven't experienced that or don't fully understand that i pray in jesus name that they'd be able to understand that more through the power of the holy spirit to know that you love them as well i pray they'd come forward to be ministered to today thank you for each one thank you for this church and i pray lord in this week ahead of us remind us of how much you love us in jesus name amen have a great sunday Meadowbrook.